You know, I was uh, thinking this week about dreams. And I was thinking about how I've never had a dream where I came in second place. Have you? Have you ever had a dream where you were like, it would be awesome to go, like you're a kid playing, it would be great to go to the Olympics and get bronze. It just doesn't happen that way. It would be great to be runner up in the Miss America pageant. Doesn't happen that way. In our dreams, we win, right? I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing that happens. That's, that's what makes the fantasy world of a dream so awesome, right? Is you, you get to go and you get to hit the last second shot or you get to save the damsel in distress or you get to fight off the dragon or, or you get to produce the Broadway show that, that everyone comes and loves. And, and that's kind of what happens. And oftentimes we, we think about the longings of our lives and the longings of our lives really have us up on top. We, we want to think about doing things like, uh, you know, being able to win in business so that we can work less, travel more. And, and I talk to people, they say, I'm just hoping to retire early. I want to pursue the pleasures of my life, the hobbies of my life. I want to be able to do those things. And oftentimes our dreams don't match reality, do they? I mean, that's why they're dreams. But what our, our oftentimes our thinking about those things, if we're being really honest, it really doesn't match the reality of the unseen world. And that's a world that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about. You probably thought about the world and if you're a student, you think about the world at school. You know, it's a, it's a little bit smaller world, but that world is everything to you. If, if you're kind of entering your career, you may be thinking about uh, the world that's in front of you, or if you're a person who is kind of attuned to world events or national events, you're, 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 your scope is bigger as you think about all of those things. But have you thought about the unseen world lately? Most of us don't. And that's what I'm going to ask you to think about with me today. From Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, in this three-verse passage that we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul begins to expose a larger battle that is going on for the believers. And I need to preface this by saying today, this message that we're reading from today, it's all for believers. It's, it's, it's not for those who are not in Christ, because if you're not in Christ, you, there's no battle. You don't see it. This is for believers. And I'll get to that and, and I'll tell you how you can become a believer in a little bit, but, but this is for believers as he writes this because he wants them to think about the unseen world. He wants them to see that the battle that they're facing is bigger than what they might see with their eyes or touch with their hands. It, it's bigger than that. It, it's, it's larger than they can wrap their, their minds around. And, and in the first five chapters, We've seen how Christ has set us free. He's opened opportunities for us. He's destroyed the power of sin in our lives. He's torn down walls. And now the apostle says, here's where the real work begins for you as a believer. And it's a work in unseen things. We might think that the real work of being a Christian is showing up this morning like, man, we really did the work. We showed up and we praised the Lord with all of our hearts. We might think that the work of a Christian is evangelism because that is our mission, but the battle, the real work in the trenches is the unseen world. And it's a world we often don't think about. We're either naive to it or blind to it or we're just scared of it. And the apostle says we don't need to be any of those three things. We need to be ready for it. And so as we read this this morning, let's think about that 
work. Verse 10, Ephesians chapter six. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. When Paul begins writing this, the first word that he says there is finally. And he doesn't mean it finally like, oh, last thing on the list that I need to give you. Or, oh, I almost forgot. Let me make sure that I insert this. The word that he uses there is like going forward now, finally going forward now. I want you to think about this. He's talking about, in light of everything that I've written you, it all leads up to this. In chapter one, he talked about the benefits that we've received from God the Father through Christ the Son by the agency of the Holy Spirit appropriated to us. In chapter two, he said that our faith was by faith, it was given to us by grace. It's not of works that any of us should boast. In chapter three, he talks about the walls being torn down between uh, the hostility between Jews and Gentiles and how God is confounding the world with what he's doing. In chapter four, he begins to picture the diversity of the church with the gifts and what lostness looks like. In chapter five, he begins to say, here's what it means to live as a believer with the time that we have left under the filling of the Holy Spirit, this is what your life will look like. And in chapter six now, he says, okay, in light of all of that, here's what you have to do. And what he's gonna do is give us two instructions and then an explanation for why he gives the two instructions. Now we might expect him to give the explanation first and then now that you know this, Here's the two instructions, but he doesn't do that. And I think there's a method to what he's doing here because if he just gives the explanation, it could be overwhelming. It, it could maybe make us retreat a little bit. And so what he does is he gives us two instructions and then an explanation for how we are to live. Look at instruction number one. And, and it's this idea that he says, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. His mighty strength, maybe your, your translation says, or, or his mighty power, as it says. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. When he says that to us, it's actually the same construction. Those three words exactly appear in chapter one. If I could get you to look on the screen or you can turn back there with me. In verse 18, as he was writing to the church, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Greatness of power, mighty working of strength. And what he's talking about there is that God's power was displayed for us on the cross. So when he's telling you, this is the strength that you're tapping into. This is the strength that I want you to be strengthened with. He says, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power of God displayed for us. And, and as he does that, we keep reading in, in chapter one, he says, he exercised this power by raising him from the dead and seating Christ in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, 
power, dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he subjected everything, everything under his feet and appointed him the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Why is Paul constantly pointing us back to the resurrection? It's because the resurrection is the greatest demonstration of God's power that has ever been. Satan thought he had won when he killed Jesus on the cross. He thought it was over, right? He thought we finally got our plan enacted. It's all working. What he didn't realize is that God was allowing that plan so that Christ could be sacrificed in our place, the spotless lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, so that he could die in our place and then God would raise him from the dead and tear apart death forever. When that happened, that's the demonstration of the power of God. So as he looks back to this, he says to us as believers over and over again, so in chapter one and now in chapter six, this is the power that's available to you. Horsepower is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? If you keep up with cars, you know, we don't talk about that very much because now we're talking about hybrid cars and electric cars. But let me tell you something, if you've ever been in an electric car, the torque that they generate is unbelievable. It's fast, right? It'll, it'll really motor. We talk about horsepower, more is better is what we think. What he's saying here is, you want to tap into the greatest form of strength that there is, and it is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, this is important for us because the power is available to us going forward, and now he's saying we need to learn to rely on it because the battle didn't end when we got saved. See, a lot of us think that what happened is the greatest tension in our lives was coming out of darkness and into light. That's a glorious moment for most of us, really. That's a, a relieving moment for most of us because we laid our burdens down finally and, and we didn't have to struggle with that anymore. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I can't tell you how incredible it is to come to the place in your life where you recognize that you're a sinner and you are hopeless under the wrath of God and to know that God loved you so much, he sent Christ to die for you. When you see that and your burden is lifted, it's, it's a glorious thing, but that's not really the battle. The battle starts from that moment on and Paul says, with all of this in mind, you guys have to rely on God's strength. And, and that's an important part, part for us because He's not telling us to go in the weight room and get strong. He's not saying, go figure out how to intellectually get strong. Go figure out how you can be spiritually strong. The verb that he uses there is passive. You be strengthened. Let yourself be caused to be strengthened by the Lord. Let God do the work in your life. Rely on the strength of the Lord. God does it and he is able to cause us to be strong. So when he talks about be strengthened in the Lord and the mighty power that he has, the vast strength that is available to us, he's saying tap into the Lord and let God be your source of strength. All throughout the scripture, it's fascinating what happens. If you look at it, we're told often that we're not to be afraid, right? If you think about 2 Timothy 1.7, it says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind, power, Where's the power come from? It didn't say you are powerful. It said God gave you power. When Joshua was going to take the promised land, he was having to rely on the Lord's strength. You remember over and over again, I think it's three times in chapter one, doesn't God tell him, 
Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The battle is always the Lord's, even though we have to do some fighting. The battle was the Lord's. Joshua was going in the strength of the Lord. God was going before him, but Joshua still had some fighting to do, didn't he? He still had to get engaged with it, but he was strengthened, not in his own military ability, not in his own abilities to think about the problems and solve them. He was strengthened by the Lord, and as he relied on that strength, God made him powerful for that. If we try to be strong on our own, it's fatal. It's fatal. You cannot do it. You cannot resist what God uh, can, can resist. You, you cannot withstand what God can withstand. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now alive in us. And he's saying be strengthened in that power. There's a little obscured verse in the book of Jude, verse nine, that kind of demonstrates that, I think. It says that the archangel Michael was contending with Satan over the body of Moses. And it said he did not slander him at all, but said the Lord rebuke you. How powerful is the archangel? He must be powerful. Even he didn't rely on his own power. The Lord rebuke you. God do it. Let God do this. This isn't about us. And so when we think about being filled with the Holy Spirit and letting the Lord strengthen us, how do we do that? Well, we tap into what God's given us. It's asking every day for the Holy Spirit to fill our lives just to go before the Lord and ask him for his strength to spend time with the Lord, to be strengthened. It's like your reserves getting built back up every day. They get depleted, you go back with the Lord. He builds them back up. They get depleted, you go back with the Lord. That's what happens. And we're relying on God's strength. That's instruction number one. And it starts there because you can't do number two if you're still trying to do it in your own strength. The second instruction is this, be ready to resist in battle. When it says that in, in verse 11 uh, of chapter six, it simply says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Preparation, be ready. We think about some of the great military victories that have come in the history of the world. There could be probably no greater victory than what happened when the Allies began the invasion of France, D-Day. The preparation had been immense. It had gone on for months and years. They had planned an amphibious assault. They had planned a paratrooper assault behind enemy lines and, and, and they were over-prepared. In fact, they were so over-prepared, one of the things that happened is they loaded down all these paratroopers with everything under the sun they might need. You know, it's not bad enough you gotta jump out of a plane, but here's a rifle and here's some provisions on your back and we're gonna have this, they had this uh, leg pouch kind of thing that they were supposed to release and as soon as they jumped out of the plane, most of the guys lost that, it was too heavy. They couldn't keep up with it, their supplies were scattered. They were prepared for every contingency imaginable and the apostles telling us, we've got to be prepared. You get prepared, you get strong, and you get ready to fight, just like Joshua had to do. I love what Winston Churchill said during those dark days. He said, one thing is absolutely certain, namely that victory will never be found by taking the line of least resistance. You have to stand and you have to fight. There comes a day where the line is drawn in the sand and you must step to it and be willing to resist. And we're called to do that every day. 
Because we have an enemy, the scripture says, who is all at once a bully and a deceiver and an accuser. You say, well, pastor, this is like the second time you've mentioned this this enemy that we have. Do you believe in the literal devil? I do, very much so. And I hope that you do, because I think that Satan would be very much happy if you didn't believe in him because he is free to go about and do what he wants to do, or even maybe better if you believed in him as a cartoon character with a pointy tail and a little pitchfork. But that's not how the Bible describes Satan. The book of Ezekiel tells us that Satan was an angel who desired to overthrow God and cast And he was cast out of heaven with one third of the angels. And the scripture describes him as an adversary, a destroyer, a liar, a thief, and even an angel of light. And he is no fool who determines to stand against the adversary who is the devil. I mean, think about it. Satan would love to be on the throne, but he is not God. And that means that he is not all knowing. He's not all present. He's not all powerful, though he is a powerful foe not to be underestimated or trifled with. And so Paul says we need this armor to stand against the schemes. Another way for you to think about that word is strategies, schemes, strategies. A scheme would involve some trickeration. A strategy would involve a plan. I will never forget being a college student. And you know, we love the verse and I'm I'm sure you love it too. Maybe you even have it hanging in your home. I've been in, in people's homes and seen this verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Don't we love that verse? It's a fantastic verse. It really outlines for us this idea that God has a plan for our lives. And we know that he does. But our enemy has a plan. The Bible says he has schemes and strategies. And as much as God has a plan for your life, the enemy has a plan for your life. And his plan involves all the things that we just talked about. If we are gonna understand his plan, we can go back to the scripture and begin to look at those words that describe him because they really give us insight into his plan. In Genesis, he shows up as the deceiver. He meets with Eve and begins to tell her, did did God really say that? You know, the only reason that God would say that, of course, is because he doesn't want you to be like him. God hates it when you wanna be like him. He's speaking from personal experience, isn't it? It's what got him kicked out of heaven. God can't stand that. If you eat this, you'll be like him. Well, Satan had tried to overthrow the Lord. It didn't work out too well. So the temptation is what? It's a lie mixed with pride, isn't it? It's a lie mixed with pride. You can be like God. You could be important. You could be all-knowing. You could be the captain of your own ship. You could find your own destiny. You don't have to be saddled down with all this weight of the Lord. And so Eve falls in that temptation and pride. He tempts us to believe that we should find our true self. And whatever that true self is according to us, we should just live it out because that's when we're being authentic. And boy, isn't that a buzzword today? Be authentic. Be who you really are. But that's a lie. We're told we should find pleasure 
And it's the chief end of all that we do. As long as you're happy, it doesn't matter. Find your happiness. Pursue it at all costs. Run after it. Chase it. God wants you to be happy. Where is that in the Bible? Can you find it? I can't. God wants us to be joyful. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy is not dependent on my circumstances. Joy is dependent on the knowledge I have of who Christ is because joy can be in all circumstances. I've seen people joyous in death. I've seen people joyous in trial. That's different. Think about what the scripture describes him as a thief and a destroyer. When you think about a thief, you think about a destroyer, you think about uh, an enemy who likes to take what is not his and ruin it. And so he loves to take people's lives and he loves to ruin them. He loves to subtly tell them, hey, just try a little drink. I mean, we're just told to drink all of the time. It's no big deal. Smoke marijuana, it is not bad. It's not a gateway drug. It will not get you there. You're gonna be fine. Just a little bit, it'll be great. And then he wrecks your life with it. And that begins to own you and you don't own it. It's no big deal though. It's no big deal. He's a thief. And he destroys and ruins. When we talk about identity theft, can we talk about that today in our culture? That identity theft is happening every day with people who are losing who they really are because they're following a lie to be destroyed by it. He's often called an angel of light. And that means he disguises what is bad as good for those who are unaware. How can we be aware then? To be strengthened by the Lord and put on the full armor of God and be ready to resist knowing that these things are coming at us day after day after day. Instead of waking up this morning and believing that what we really wanna do is pursue pleasure and fun and, and we just need to pursue happiness, what we ought to be ready to do is stand and make our stand and fight and resist when he comes at us. but I don't think many of us wake up with that in mind. We don't wake up thinking about the fact that there's a plan that God has for us and a plan the enemy has for us. And at the intersection, at the crossroads of those two things is a battle. It's a battle for us. Passivity will not work. We must be firm we must be firm in our resolve to resist the schemes, to resist the strategies. That means we have to have our eyes wide open. You cannot afford to have your mind in neutral, just riding along, hoping that everything's great. Let's just coast for a while. It will be fine. Our minds must be engaged so that as the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us, we can affirm that what the Holy Spirit is saying is right, what Satan is saying is wrong, and we can choose to run after what God says and run away from what Satan has for us. Be strengthened by the power of the Lord today. Put on the armor of God today and be ready to make your stand and resist the schemes of the devil. 
Why? Here's why, and it's the explanation. It's what we're facing. Verse 12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers and against the authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. There are some things there that are pretty important for us to notice. If you look through that verse, the first thing that it says is that the struggle is defined not by flesh and blood. That's very hard for us sometimes. It's very hard for us not to imagine that the struggle we're facing is against some other group of people or some other thing that we don't like in people. Because when we think about a conflict, what do we see? We see battle lines being drawn and we see uniforms of one side and uniforms of another side. And we see men and women coming together to fight. You know, as, as we're watching this happen in Ukraine, what, what do we see? We, we see an aggressor and we see people trying to defend. And, and we see it very clearly as man to man. And, and they're engaging ladies in this fight too, passing out rifles to everyone. We're going to defend what is ours, but that's not our struggle. That's actually not the struggle that we're doing. And, and it's hard because most of the time, what we're seeing in people is the effects of the unseen world. It's not the people that we're fighting, it's the effects of the unseen world because they're deceived by it. And as we see these effects, they're influenced by it and they begin to act out these things. And it's really difficult for us to not see that as the enemy, that person as the enemy, that group of people as the enemy, that is not the enemy. Those people are not the enemy. The enemy is unseen and notice how it's described. It says that the enemy is rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of the darkness. And then it says against evil, and evil's kind of describing their evil spiritual forces. They're good spiritual forces. This says there's evil spiritual forces. And so as it describes these things, I wanna remind you of something. If our adversary can't be in every place at once, he's not God, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, he has limited power, limited knowledge, limited ability to be in all places, can't do it, what happens then? Well, remember there was a third of those angels and the scripture describes this as almost like a hierarchy of things. And you say, well, what are each one of these things? I have no idea because the scripture doesn't say it. This is what it says. But there's a hierarchy that we sometimes see when we look through the scripture and we see what happens. For instance, in the book of Daniel, an angel of the Lord is delayed because he had to contend with one of the princes of darkness. Unseen force, dominion, power, ruler, a prince of darkness. He had to contend with him. We're told in the book of Revelation that there was a throne of Satan in Pergamum where, where that city existed. A singular place right there. But what you begin to see is that there, there's a hierarchy there. And so what we're dealing with is that we're dealing with, maybe we would think about it like this way, the minions, Right? We're dealing with the minions of the adversary. And, and maybe you and I have, have been tempted by the devil ourselves, but, but maybe not. Maybe we've been tempted by his, his understudies, those who would do his bidding. But what the scripture says is 
The battle can't be confused with people. And I want to tell you why. This is very, very important. It's extremely important. We don't lose sight of this. You cannot pray and love people and win them to Christ when you see them as the enemy. You can't. You won't. When you set someone up and you say they are the enemy and that group of people, we've got to defeat that group of people, you've lost the battle already. It's not a group of people we're fighting. We're not trying to take ground. Think about it like this. Did you notice what it said? Can we just go back to this in verse 11? It said, put on the full armor of God so that you may stand, you may resist, stand. We don't have to go take ground back. Christ Jesus has already won. We're fighting a defeated foe who likes guerrilla tactics. You're familiar with that, right? Guerrilla tactics are, we don't stand and face you. We blend in and then we show up and try to hit you and then we slink back into society so we can blend in again. And that's what he does. He's fighting a losing battle. The back of the book, if you've read it, it says that one day the destroyer, the dragon will be cast into hell forever and destroyed. That battle is over. Death is defeated. This is the last gasp of a dying enemy who's trying to come for us. And so as we look at these things and we understand this, I want you to think about this really clearly. Don't confuse the battle with people. Understand that we're resisting a defeated foe. The battle is won. And so as we do that, we have to remind ourselves all the time, greater is he that is in me than is in the world. Not my strength, not my cunning, not my ability, not yours. It's the Lord. It's what God's doing for us. I resist and God comes and fights. Peter tells us, resist the enemy and he will flee. He must. And what strength do we draw upon? The Lord. I don't know if you have ever had the feeling of coming face to face with the darkness. I've had it several times in my life and I can't really explain it. I was at a concert one time and uh, it'd been a, a band that I had seen and seen them many times through the years. And I have no idea what was about this concert or about that place that night, but as the show went further and further and further, I just became convinced that there was evil in the air. Same songs, same people. Don't know if it was the place, don't know, but I just really felt the Lord saying, this isn't for you. Get out of here. Don't come back. This isn't for you. That sense of evil where you just, you, you begin to see that and you begin to resist that and say, I don't want to do it. I, I think that we have to be willing to say that evil's in the world. And a lot of times it's made like it's a game. It's not going to hurt you. It's just a Ouija board. Hmm. You think you got your eyes open on that one or you think that your eyes might be closed on it? It's not going to hurt me. It's just a song that I like. It's not going to hurt me. I just love going to the movies. It's not going to hurt me. I, I just like watching this stuff. It, it's, it's not a big deal. 
and we're caught unaware and we do nothing to resist and it's almost like we just open the door and say, well, welcome, come on in. Come hang out and stay a while. When we come face to face with evil, we must make our stand and resist. It starts by resisting temptation personally. It starts right there for us to say, no, I will not give in. I'm going to obey the Lord. God, strengthen me. God, help me in this. God, let me, let me bear up under this. I know that you will provide a way out for me. I know, God, that you have said that in your word. I know that I don't have to give in to this temptation. It may be a choice that I make, God, but I don't have to do it. Strengthen me today. It starts with saying, I'm not allowing this stuff in my life. There comes a point where the line is drawn and I must say, today, this is the line for me. I will not cross it. I will not let you cross it. It stops right here. To be ready for these things. Because if this is true, then this ought to change how we wake up and face the day tomorrow. We ought to be waking up with eyes wide open, understanding that there is evil around us and asking God to make us strong so that we may resist and understanding that the gates of hell will not prevail against the attack of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't. Satan is defeated. Not because I said it, but because Jesus did it. So for us this morning, what what does this mean? What does it mean that we're engaged in this, this cosmic war? A couple of things that I might say about that. There are excesses on both sides of this. Can I give them to you? Excess is, I'm gonna put my, my head in the sand and I don't wanna see evil, I don't wanna know evil, it doesn't exist. I don't wanna know anything about it. That's excessive. That's foolish. Evil's real. It's in the world. The other side of that is that you get so nutty you begin to believe that you're seeing demons around everything in your life. That's excessive. I've told you this before. You know, sometimes you go out to your car and you're about to go do something for the Lord and your car won't start. It might be that the enemy is working against you. It might also be you haven't done maintenance on your car in three years. Know the difference. There is a difference. Don't go seeking this stuff. That's not the point. We don't preach sermons about Satan in here. That's not the point. We preach sermons about the overcoming power of the Lord Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead by God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the point. Know that. Spend time with that and discern what is right. Ask God to help you discern what's right for your children, for your grandchildren, for your marriage, to know those things because he will reveal those things. Just this week, Kathy and I were having a conversation about a decision we had to make. And we had sought, what, I mean, honestly, what we believe is really some, some godly counsel about some things. And we felt pretty good, I think, I think, we felt pretty good about the decision we were going to make. And then all of a sudden, there was one little wrinkle that came to our attention about this decision. It was like, this doesn't add up. You've heard me say this before, ad nauseum. Write it down. It's a quote from Vance Otis Mims, my grandfather. 
when things don't add up, they just add it up. They add it up to be wrong. He would say that all the time. Boy, when things don't add up, they just add it up. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. But no, it's that they add it up to be wrong. Get away from it. And this little wrinkle, it got me very stirred up. Very stirred up. But then Kathy had an insight into it. It was all of a sudden it was like, I see this very clearly for what this is, and this is an attack of the enemy. We are stepping away from that decision. We're not doing it. That's an insight of the Holy Spirit. That's saying, God's saying to you, there's an unseen reality here. Everything that's being said good is not good. And, and, and it's, it's important for us to understand the difference, it's important for us to know these things and to see them and to ask God to illuminate our lives so that we understand them with the truth. But you have to be ready to fight. Don't give away your families. Don't give away your children. Don't give away your businesses. Don't give away your friends. Don't give away your employees. Fight. Stand and resist in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fight. I'm going to ask you this morning if you would bow your heads. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. We're going to open up these altars. And, and the invitation is really twofold. It's, it's going to be one for, for those who don't know Christ. If, if you've never given your life to Christ, what I'm talking about, just it's got to seem like lunacy. Because only Christ makes this make sense. When you're set free from the power of sin. And our prayer today is that you would know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he died for you because he loved you so much. He didn't wait for you to figure it out. He did it for you so long ago. And the invitation still stands. Whosoever will can call on the name of the Lord. And anyone who does will be saved. But for those of us who are in Christ this morning... Some of you are engaged in a battle. You've come face to face with the darkness right now. You know it, you feel it, you sense it. And maybe you've just been laid up and felt like you couldn't, you couldn't fight. Fight, resist, be strengthened this morning in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the, the vast resources of his strength. Some of you are entering into things where you're going to be confronting darkness on a day-to-day -day basis. Your job leads you there. Fight. He will fight for you. And so as we sing this in just a moment, after I pray for you, I, I'm gonna ask you to come and, and maybe come to the altar and just ask the Lord to fill you with his presence, his strength, and ask him to fight for you and to give you wisdom. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll talk about putting on the full armor of God and what it means, but today, to make your stand and say, not anymore. Father, how we call on your name and we call on your strength. We ask, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, and that's to fight for us, strengthen us. Lord, we believe we are able to stand and resist because of what you have done. And we call on your great strength this morning to strengthen us for the battle, for the days 
that we're facing, for the schemes and the strategies of our defeated foe. And Lord Jesus, we claim your victory over our lives today because you have fought the battle of death and you have won. You have conquered all and everything has been placed under your feet. And one day you will destroy our adversary forever. How we long for that day and we pray for it and we ask you to come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until then, give us the strength to fight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.